Hey, welcome back to the Great Date Guy podcast. My name is Rob Wong, and today's interview is something that I'm really excited to bring to you. Um, I mean, mainly because it's such a cool way of exploring sex and also just a cool way of exploring how the mind works. Today, we're talking about BDSM, and um, we're fortunate enough to have uh, a friend of mine from Austin who's going to remain anonymous, of course, um, who happens to be uh, one of the best informed people that I know about this arena, um, talking about how it's done, how it's done safely, and does it have anything to do with what's being portrayed in movies? You're going to find out uh, just after this. If I think about it, not many people that I know seek to navigate or expand their consciousness through sex. And for the the person that's listening right now, I would love to like get kind of a breakdown of what that looks like or how you go about that process. Totally. So isn't that amazing how like like humans are some of the most sexual beings on the planet, like like way more than almost any living life form. Uh, you know, we, we can kind of, we have sex for pleasure, right? That's extremely rare. Uh, we, we can sort of procreate year round. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of data that would indicate that human sexuality is uh, an integral part about being human. Um, and so, you know, we can begin to speculate as to why it might be important for that to be controlled, you know, and, and why people might have received the societal programming to not prioritize pleasure and to to almost feel like the body is dirty, right? It's been millennia of that sort of philosophy. Um, so I would almost say that it's it's as much a process of learning as it is of unlearning. Uh, and, and each person's path is, uh, is unique based on the messages they've received growing up. Um, and just to, to speak to your point about getting advice, advice can be really, really useful, right? Especially with regards to things like safety, um, I was really grateful and fortunate to be able to do a 12 month BDSM mentorship program. Uh, and then I, I later uh, was part of, uh, of a leather club, um, which is uh, sort of a group of people that are united by shared values. There's a lot of uh, a heavy service component to it. Uh, and there's a lot of integrity to it. So I, I was able as a, as a young chap, <laughs> to, to be surrounded by uh, these elders. They were really elders, you know, in, in, and this was just the BDSM community, for example. Um, there's other communities as well. Uh, but, but just having people who had decades and decades of experience to, to show me the ropes a little bit. Is that a and then that Because <laughs> if it is, I hate it. I didn't even realize that was, but yeah. Um, but the thing is, is I kind of went the other direction where for me, I became so like focused on the technique and the safety and doing it right that I forgot to actually have like the crazy fun experience of like, we don't know what we're doing. We're just exploring, you know? And so it's, I think it's a balance, you know, you got to find that juice, but then the juice, uh, you also got to kind of have a container for it. Yeah. I, and I think this is, this is hitting, uh, on a really important point, because w- when I look at what the conventional understanding of BDSM is, it's like it's like dirty tug and like I'm gonna choke you while I spank you at the same time, and you can call me daddy. 
and there are ropes and whips and stuff, but I think that it sort of misses the point of the community. And I, I guess I'm curious to, to get your understanding of what that experience is like. Uh, are there examples of how that tends to play out versus how people traditionally think about it? Mm -hmm. So here's a secret that I, I feel like I've, I've discovered about that. Um, which is that I, I believe that most people, uh, like you described yourself initially, and like I was, very sort of perhaps desensitized, disconnected from one's body, one's experience. Um, and so it's very interesting because for some people, you know, completely avoiding stimuli or having very, very intense stimuli are both ways of, I don't want to say numbing out and disconnecting in a bad way because it's not necessarily bad. Um, but, but it's, it's kind of like going from zero to 100 miles an hour right away. And I found a lot of like really juicy stuff in, in sort of going slow and slowly increasing that. Because like getting spanked by someone or, or getting hit with the paddle um, could be less intense for someone than holding eye contact for more than a couple minutes and breathing together, mm. which is kind of a more tantric practice. So it really, it depends on the, per and then vice versa, like what feels safe for one person might not for another. Um, and so for me, I, I feel like I think of it as this palette of different sorts of paints, you know, and we have different brushes and we can, we can weave this, this tapestry of human connection uh, through all of these different modes of relating. Um, Cause it is, it is very relational. Right. Um, and I would say that what, what, things like BDSM do is they give conscious language to the archetypes and the power dynamics that exist in our life normally that we don't acknowledge. I think that makes sense. And I also think that that could be potentially very dense for the person who might be listening right now. Um, Too much. It, it, I mean, I, re I remember reading through like David Dita's like, what's it, the way of superior man and thinking like, what the fuck is like back in my twenties, I couldn't understand anything he was yeah. saying. And in revisiting it, like, I get it now, like, th that guy did a, sh like, a shit ton of growth. But it was so dense with, I think, our vocabulary that I, I couldn't, I couldn't parse it. So, um, but I think what I'm taking away from your description is that uh, a lot of people think of BDSM as like, oh, you enjoy pain, so I'm going to give you pain, uh, or receiving it. And what you're describing is like this very conscious exploration of intensity going from and seeing specifically like, hey, is this the kind of intensity that you want? And it might be getting shocked or getting paddled or something as as traditionally non-confrontational as holding eye contact, depending on that person's experience. And as you navigate that experience, as you negotiate it with them um, together, you're creating a new way of connecting. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I think so. Is there anything that I might have missed or anything that you want to add to that? I don't want to be like putting words in your mouth. No, no, there was, but I forgot it. Like while we were talking, while you're talking, I thought of something <laughs> and then I, I forgot what it was. Um, <laughs> it'll probably come back to me though. But to, to kind of speak to your point of, of something more beginner friendly, um, I put together a little guide uh, and, and, and I can kind of walk through the uh, five, five steps to getting started with BDSM safely <laughs> and funly. <laughs> funly. Uh, so the first step would be, um, you know, 
sort of, do you want to be the person giving the sensation or do you want to be the person receiving the sensation? Or do you want to be both? Do you want to switch off? Um, so the, the top is the terminology for someone who's typically giving the sensation or providing an experience. The bottom is the person that's receiving the experience. And a switch is someone who goes, you know, between those two roles. Mm. And um, you're not kind of locked in. It could just be a, a scene is basically one experience. And typically it's pre-negotiated. Negotiation is a, a very important topic that we can, you know, touch on later, but it's definitely want to explore that thoroughly uh, if you're going to do this stuff. Um, but then, you know, it's who's doing what to who, right? And then I would say step two, if you want to layer on top of that, um, power dynamics, power exchange. Uh, and so rather than the, the default power structures that we encounter in our day-to-day, this allows us to consciously co-create situations where maybe some person is in charge and they are the, the dominant player. Maybe some person is sort of more in a supporting role, right? They're more of a, of a follower and they're perhaps in a more submissive position. Um, and then again, switch kind of can, can go either way. And then there's just neutral, right? Like if you just don't have power dynamics, um, and they, they can stack with the one above it, you know, like there's this sort of, um, people make fun of like, they like topping from the bottom, which is when, or like a power bottom when like someone is receiving, they're receiving, but they're like telling the other person what to do. And in my mind, that's totally cool. That's just a, a dominant person bottoming for a scene. Like that's, that's great. So so I'll just pause there. I think that's step one and two. We got three more, three more steps. But any, any questions on those? Did I explain those clearly? I think so. Um, and, and the question that comes to mind that I'm going to ask on behalf of someone listening is when, when you talk about topping or bottoming or switching, is it based off of arousal or what, what is the system that you use to determine like how you occupy, like which role you occupy? Fucking pick one, see how you like it. Mm. it I think it, it depends on who you are and who the other person is. So I remember the thing I was going to say before. You mentioned pain and pleasure as being intense sensation. And I, I really feel that. I really feel like they are both sensation at various degrees of intensity. And it is the context of the situation and our emotions around it, our, our psychological mindset that really determine whether something is desirable or undesirable. And, and people are confused. They're like, oh, you like being hit with things or whatever. And it's like, no, like in that situation, that might feel really nurturing to someone. They might feel like they've been bad and they're being naughty and they like that experience. They might want to be degraded and they might want that experience because it feels good for them. Um, even emotions, I've in my research, I've found that we basically have like positive and negative and then we have intensity and it's those and, and then we just like label different aspects of those radio dials um so yeah i would say that's that's what informs the person's experience it's all about the person's subjective experience typically mostly about the bottom's subjective experience the person receiving the sensation it's also about the tops you know in in some ways 
but but typically it's um a human is creating an experience for another human while also co-creating with them and co-creating experience for themselves as well yeah but to answer your question do the thing that that you know makes your cock hard makes your pussy wet like and you might not know until you try it i think a lot of people are surprised right a lot of people are like oh i wouldn't be into that and then they do it and they're like oh i love telling people what to do this is what's up <laughs> yeah I, I really enjoyed that explanation and one of the things i was i was surprised to be introduced to this was a concept that you taught me was that when when the scenes are playing out they're not always necessarily even sexual sometimes it's just a very fulfilling moment um and tying that to what you were saying earlier about context uh, for you who's listening right now, um, I think one way to conceptualize it might be like ice cream is good situationally. Like if I'm if I'm freezing to death, ice cream is not going to do anything for me. It's going to be a negative experience. I don't want it. I don't want sweatpants in the desert. But put me in the right context, and all of a sudden that experience becomes desirable. And depending on what we've been going through, uh, what we've experienced in life, different things are appealing. Um, yeah, I, I've, so I, I just ran into this concept called blood play the other day. I don't, if you've, I'm imagining you've heard of it before, but like it's when someone enjoys being cut and then having someone else play with the blood. At least that's the way it was described to me. Finger painting. Yeah. And I don't, I don't get that. But I think just knowing that that exists kind of leaves room for just like the variety of experiences that could be fulfilling for people. And it sounds like BDSM is really just a container for people to do those types of things within a context of safety and negotiation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's really a container for different types of intimacy. Um, and earlier when I, when I said sex exploration, maybe it's more like sense, exploration you know maybe it's more like our our sensory body um like what we feel somatically um because because it doesn't have to be purely sexual um and it doesn't have to not be it's like uh yeah you want me to keep rolling with some of the uh five yeah. steps to bdsm nirvana Definitely. Um, I, I, as I as I listen to them, there's like so much overlap and so much that I think is applicable to relationships and how to navigate them. Like the level of communication and just systematically yeah. going through, I'm already getting a lot of value and, and I know some of these things. So awesome. yeah, I would, I would love to hear the rest. Awesome. Well, in that case, I'll, I'll delay it and build the anticipation. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So number three is what sort of kinky activities might you enjoy? And so that's important, right? Like, like we're more than 50% through this process when the, the actual activity comes up, right? People are like, oh, kinky shit, you know, tying people up with the rope. And it's like, yeah, but, but all the other, who's tying? Who are they tying? What are they feeling? Where are they? Who else is watching, right? Like all of that stuff. And then in terms of the kinky activities, you know, we can kind of, I don't know if you want me to like go through a list of things that like people can like keywords or. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. I, I would love to hear details about this. All right. Let me see. So, um, 
these are things that people can enjoy topping for. They can enjoy doing this to someone. They can enjoy bottoming for, receiving it, or both. Um, you know, when people ask, like, what are you into? There's, there's really, like, almost endless possibilities. Um, but I, I would say they break down into, looks like I, I only have 11 major categories here. So clearly not a lot of stuff, right? Um, so starting with sensation play, sensation play can be things like, you know, anything from ice cubes to, to foxtails to claws to blindfolds to feathers. You know, it, it can be sometimes more sensual, not as intense, um, but it can vary. So that's sensation play. That's number one. They're not in any order, but I'm just going to label them just so you can one sensation play. And um, if you want to stop me, maybe just do this and I'll, I'll stop and you can clarify questions. Sure. Number two, wax play. Uh, you basically, you burn a candle. Uh, it's got to be the right candle. <laughs> you got to find out what it's made of and what temperature it burns at because a lot of them burn too hot and can cause serious third degree burns. A lot of the safety thing. And I am not a medical doctor. This is not medical advice. This is provided purely for recreational and, and, and entertainment purposes. Um, but not a lawyer either. Uh, question. <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of candle should people be looking for? Like, do you just like buy a table candle? Like what, what this are is the what you do. This is what yeah. you do. You go to Google and you, you write wax play safe candle. And then you find the most authoritative article you could possibly find that tells you exactly which materials burn at which temperatures. And then you, ideally you pick the, the lowest one and you start there. And then if you want to go up, you go up, but there's lots of information about this stuff. You just have to be informed. I think that's a good cautionary thing. Cause I remember the first time I did wax play, I just lit a candle and then we just tried and that could have ended with like secondary burns. So, or third or third degree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's a really good call out. And I like that you've stated that there are 11 levels so far because we've gone through the first two, kind of, and I think that already encompasses what most people think of when it comes to, like, kinky stuff or BDSM. So that, I wouldn't think of them as levels. There's no hierarchy. I yeah. would think of them as different territories on a map. So yeah. I, actually, I'm going to go ahead and edit this, make letters, okay? Okay. Uh -huh. Because letters are much less hierarchical. They're still a little hierarchical. Yeah. They still got a little power dynamics, but not not as much. Yeah, like with grading. I, I think that's, yeah. I feel like there's still a hierarchy attached there, but I got you. Yeah. But once you get into like the, the, the H's, it's like gone. <laughs> like no one knows like what number H is. Um, so anyways, A is sensation play. B is wax play. Uh, you burn a candle, you drip it. The closer you are to them, the harder it's going to be. The higher up it is, the more it has time to cool down. Um, can be fun. C is bondage. And this can be any sort of restraint, right? So it could be rope, could be leather cuffs. It could even be things like tape. Could be pretty much anything. You could use a tie. You could use, uh, you could roll up a towel. I've done that a lot. You just roll up a towel <laughs> and you just tie someone up with it. It's like not super, you know, foolproof, but uh, it, it kind of gets, it's a lot of this is psychological, right? It's your, um, collaborating with the, with another person's physiology to create an experience for both of your, your psychologies and physiologies. Mm. Power exchange, we talked about this. Um, this can inter include things like direction, like, hey, come over here, sit here, do this, do that. Um, service, which is like, oh, you know, would you like a glass of water? 
right? Would you, and these, here's the thing, dude, all of these concepts, especially the power dynamic ones show up in our day-to-day -day lives so much. And once you see them, it's almost like seeing the matrix. It's like, oh, wow, like that boss is being really authoritative. He's, he's, he's kind of in a dominant role there. And the other person like maybe actually likes being told what to do and that works. Or maybe they're really resentful and they don't like, they don't want to be told. So I, I think knowing that humans are different in that way enables us to be more conscious in how we interact. Yeah. I think I love that point. One of the things that I've noticed, even as you were saying that last list of like power dynamics is I have a friend that is really into getting coffee and not because she like particularly enjoys coffee, but it's because she likes having someone bring the coffee over to her. And it, that wasn't revealed until we dove a little bit more into the dynamics underneath. But I think in exploring that, what that makes available is like, okay, well, I like being serviced and like, now we can optimize your experience, your lifestyle, what you go through day to day so that you are in a state of like high fulfillment. And like you were saying, like beginning to apply these principles to just the way that we explore what we enjoy and don't enjoy in life in general is really valuable. Yeah. And it ties into normal people stuff too. Like people think it's some weird fringe thing and it's, it's literally just the things we do every day, but like a little bit more intentionality and, and the potential for more intensity. For example, service, like the love languages, right? Acts of service. That's literally what this is talking about. Right. And that doesn't necessarily have to be in a power exchange context, but that's that, that desire we have that fulfillment. Um, also, just to wrap up that one, training and discipline are things that you can work with. Training is something people do at work all the time, right? Like what is a dominant, but a leader? What is a leader, but you're right. It's, there's this, like people think it's like this, you know, 50 shades of gray, this like alpha male, alpha female dominatrix, crack the whip, whatever. And like, maybe, right? Like, like leather can be really enticing, but that's more for the psychological aspect. Really, if someone is going to be in a leadership position, they need to be aware of not just their needs, but the other person's needs. There's this hierarchy of when you're, when you're a dominant or when you're topping, where I think it's more for, for the dominant, but the idea is the submissive's needs come first, and then the dominant's needs, and then the dominant's wants, and then the submissive's wants. So the, the care is always there, but then the person in charge also doesn't have to adhere to the whims of the, the other person. So, and, and sometimes people really like that dynamic. Some people fucking hate it and they don't have to play that way. Like it's good to know that you're not into that shit. Cause honestly, dude, like we talk about male, female gender roles in society. This shit is so baked into it of like, oh, males are in a, an alpha male dominant role and females are, in, yep. or, or more modern days, a lot of women are very dominant and, um, you know, that's, it's cool to like notice that and be like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, that's what you're into. This is, um, I, I like that. This is the great segue. Cause like a lot of, a lot of the female clients that I've worked with tend to be in more powerful roles for their careers. And what I've noticed and what I think many people have pointed out is how, because they're in positions where they need to make so many decisions and be in control and be dominant there is a desire for them to experience a release from having to make decisions. And 
I think that plays into everything we were just saying, but also like a lot of women want to be with a dominant guy so they can just let go of the reins for a fucking like an hour or two and relax and just be with their experience. Um, so yeah, that, that was a really good, I, I'm glad that that came up. I yeah. think that that's kind of reinforced a little bit societally. I, and I think that a lot of a lot of the women that I've run into also seem to like just like that. It's a turn on being around a really masculine presence. But I also enjoyed that you brought up that like there is a range here and depending on context again, like how much you're getting of something causes us to crave the other thing because we need that variety. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, there's there's the meme also about the the high powered male CEO executive going to the dominatrix and, you know, kissing her shoes and everything. And um, I, I do believe that some people like the variety. Um, I, I have a lot of my female friends are in that very alpha female archetype where they're maybe they're entrepreneurs and business owners and, and forces of nature in the world. And then some of them like to be, uh, you know, in more receptive states. Uh, but some of them their version of being in more receptive states is telling the fucking person what to do <laughs> and, and, and then they receive, right? So they're kind of a dominant that's, that's bottoming. So it, power bottom, it, hashtag power bottom. It can go either way, you know, and, and I don't know. I think that sometimes there's judgment around this kind of stuff. And I think the more we can just have a free, it's like what's happening with gender fluidity. You know, the more we can have a fluidity of all of these different dynamics, and people can just be honest and authentic of what they feel. And it's not just what we feel all the time. It's also what we feel in relation to another person, right? Like a lot of people are, you know, maybe they're dominant or neutral in their lives and they meet one person that they just have this special connection with, and maybe they want to be submissive or dominant just in that relationship. So it's extremely context dependent. Ready for more? Yeah, I, mean, I had something to add there, but it lost. I, I've lost it. So yeah, let's let's roll forward. <laughs> well, and then if you remember, just let me know. Yeah. Um, e is going to be role play, so you can use your imagination, literally. But um, uh, costumes, <laughs> acting <laughs> out fantasy. <laughs> the Rob's kink is clearly puns. Rob loves. But no, I'm just kidding. You're, yeah, you send, send me all the puns so I can unfriend or unfollow you. <laughs> Rob has an aversion to puns. Um, <laughs> Not into pun play. Uh, noted. <laughs> um, so costumes, acting out fantasies, right? You could include other categories of play within your storyline. Um, some people actually use role play as a healing modality. Um, like a lot of, you know, it's, I don't necessarily want to start talking about trauma resolution because that's a whole other topic. But, <laughs> but I'll just say that trauma resolution and, and, you know, exploring your sexuality and your sensuality are like peanut butter and bananas. Like it's, it's just, if you do one without the other, well, you, you could trauma res resolution without the fetus. I'm probably, but I don't know. I've just, I've found that a, a lot of us are uh, carrying around stories or experiences that we've had. And uh, th these modalities have tremendous healing potential and they all, also have uh, tremendous damage potential. So uh, doing one's inner work therapeutically uh, can be very important, you know, before and while exploring recreationally. 
and recreational experiences can be incredibly cathartic and impactful, almost therapeutic. I, th I think that th it's actually very much worth pausing on this point to, to your point about how sexuality and trauma are so closely interrelated, like what I'm afraid to share about what I'm ashamed of is something that I won't actually get fulfilled. And a lot of that stuff happens around sexuality. And, and to your earlier point about how I think role play is a healing modality that shows up a lot in the work that I do. Like sometimes I have to be the stand in for someone's dad or brother and receive mm -hmm. all the stuff that they wanted to tell that person, but couldn't because they're out of their lives or they're dead or they're in jail or something. Yeah, but in going drama. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a powerful thing. Like I've never had one of those sessions end with anything less than tears and like a new sense of like freedom, like now I can move forward. And, and I think that's also important. Like our traumas inform what we're turned on by as well. Like, I think there's a theory in like, uh, the, it's not the whole brain child. What is it? The body keeps the score about how victims of trauma and the trauma can be anything that just is incomplete for you. It doesn't have to be that you got like beaten in, in an alleyway. It could be something as innocuous as your mom forgot you at the park. And then she came back 10 minutes later. But as a child, that's a traumatic experience. Um, and there's this theory that we tend to try to revisit those trauma situations. We recreate them for ourselves over and over again, sometimes through sex, sometimes through relationships as the brain's attempt to heal. So my life might follow a specific pattern where I date a very like a uh, cold standoffish person over and over again, because maybe in the past I had a bad relationship with that context with my dad or my mom or a previous girlfriend. And my brain is hoping that if I go through this one more time, I'll be able to be free of that and I can move forward. So I really like that you brought up that, Hey, if, if this is something that's happening for you, therapeutic intervention is a really good thing. Um, cause I think that opens up so much. It's not just around sex. It's around the richness and experience of life. That was a long rant. No, that's good, man. Um, I agree with 99.7% of that. Um, <laughs> I'll just make one small tweak about my perspective. Yeah. Um, my perspective is that the idea that like our, our brains are wanting to heal quote unquote, um, there is something to be said about like a, a natural healing intelligence, uh, a natural blueprint of health uh, that, that, that is there. You know, people, people would think of it as like the, the, the soul that is like untarnished by life experiences, whatever it is, right? This, this original blueprint of wholeness and healing. Um, I, do, I do feel like that's relevant. Um, but I also, I, I feel like uh, thinking that we're going, we're repeatedly creating traumatic experiences in our lives in order to heal. Um, to me, there, there's danger in that belief. Mm. Um, uh, and I, I prefer to think of it more as we have these blueprints of what closeness and connection looks like to us based on what our experiences have been. And then we recreate that. So if we want to change it, then we can choose to use it as an opportunity to heal and have something else. But absent that choice, I would imagine a lot of people are just continuing to perpetuate the same potentially dysfunctional patterns. Um, yeah, so anyways, just wanted to 
I always got to add my own thing. So thank you for being, <laughs> thank you for being gracious with it. Yeah, of course, man. Um, I, so I, I guess what inside of that, is it the concern that if someone thinks that their brain is trying to recreate those situations to heal, that they might be seeking out like an abusive relationship again. Cause like, I got to heal like, Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to repair things. Whatever story makes your life great. Like I believe that people should choose their own stories, but just be aware that we're choosing it and stories have consequences. Um, you know, there's, there's a popular meme sort of in spiritual circles of like, we've created everything that's happened to us and everything happens for a reason. And I just think that shit really fucks people up, you know? And I, I just, I think that, um, I encourage everybody to question their beliefs and their stories and to choose ones that are empowering and of service to them. Yeah. I've seen the flip side of what you're, I think, I think I've seen the flip side of what you're talking about and let me know if this is off base um, with respect to, I created all this. So like, Oh, not only am I stupid, like I'm a shitty person and I've done this to myself. So it becomes like a, a new means of like beating myself up. And I, I'm guilty of this. I do this, at least half of the time when I notice that I'm doing a pattern that I don't enjoy and it no longer becomes a source of empowerment. It's just one more thing that I've messed up. And you know what, Rob, for some people having someone else beat them helps them to beat themselves up less and it's counterintuitive and like, who knows? Right. But it's, um, yeah. It's interesting. And I think it speaks to, we're talking about human connection, human intimacy. Our deepest wounds typically are relational. Um, and so they, they were created in relationships, likely close and intense relationships, and they can only be really be healed in relationships. So these are ways of playing with that in what is ideally a safe, boundaried container. Um, yeah. shall, I, shall I keep going? Yeah. I have one more thing to throw on top of that, though. Sorry. Um, in that, like, I think the reason as I'm rationalizing and thinking through this, I think the reason why I used to think of BDSM as like where all the weird stuff happened was because I didn't actually understand that it's the only place that a lot of times it's allowed to happen in society. It's so heavily shamed or it seemed as such a weird thing, like people don't get an opportunity to explore it. But here, finally, as someone who isn't going to judge that person for like, just trying to see like, what kind of experience am I into? Totally. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, I would just say the phenomenon of projection, right? Like it's, I'm going to grab this book. Actually, I'll just tell you, it's called families and how to survive them. <laughs> book has been like one of the coolest books I've ever encountered in my life. It's not on Kindle, right? It's old. You have to get a little paperback and it's just like mind blowing. And it really does a great job of illustrating the phenomenon of projection of how we have these unacceptable parts of ourselves sometimes referred to in, in Jungian terms as the shadow. So not necessarily the negative to just stuff we don't accept or that society doesn't accept. So we, we push it down, we dissociate from it, we repress it, we suppress it. And it's almost like there's a screen and we keep that shit behind the screen because if it pops out, then we don't even know who we are and we feel out of control. And the, one of the best ways of keeping that stuff at bay is pointing at another person and making them that thing. And so 
like like people that are into things like BDSM or, or psychedelics or some of the more alternative sort of um, modes of human experience, uh, they've literally done scientific studies that have shown that a lot of them are much more resilient, much more well-adjusted to life, you know, just, just have a lot of positive indicators in terms of, of maturity and, and adaptation to existence. Um, and just like thinking about like, why is it, why shouldn't we play? Like, it, there's also a taboo against play. Like, like running around as adults, we can't do that. When we're kids, we can kind of do it, but they're trying to stop that too. They, whoever they is. Um, they. <laughs> us and them, dude, us and them. It's so, so anyways, we project onto other people what we avoid accepting ourselves and that seeps out in so many ways. And the, this is a way of very consciously exploring that shadow and starting to integrate it so that it doesn't seep out in really dysfunctional, destructive ways. Hmm. A thought crossed my mind that like, hmm. Like, I, I think, I think that there was like this thought that like maybe BDSM is for like bad people. Like if I look at the conventional view, it's for bad people who are doing deviant things and that's why they need to hide away. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation to distinguish that like it's all with negotiated within a context of safety. It's ideally, all like, right. Ideally, like I'll just say yeah, in, in hopefully. a lot of these sort of alternative communities, they, there's this like last house on the block effect where because they're non-traditional and perhaps folks have been um, not accepted by many parts of society, there's this culture of acceptance and inclusion. And it can be very, very beautiful. And it can also provide fertile ground for bad actors to, to be able to fly under the radar and, and really fuck people up. Like, like mm. we're talking about, this is basically like playing with dynamite. And I'm saying like, hey, you can play with dynamite and you could like make a little hole in that thing and then you could build a little garden. It can be really freaking beautiful. But you can super fuck someone up too. Like your psychopomp work. Like if you're standing in for someone's dad and they're getting super deep into it, if you say the wrong thing, if you let all your shit get, like you can really, or if you're being manipulative and you want to like be a cult leader, right? Like it's when people are so vulnerable when we're met with safety and care and connection and positive reference experiences, that's really what it comes down to is positive reference experiences in close relationships. The more of those we get, the more we can build our internal support systems and be more resilient and emotionally regulated throughout our lives. And the closer someone is to us, the more intimate the thing we're doing, the greater the potential for harm. So as a, uh, Peter Parker, Peter Park, Spider-Man's uncle. <laughs> With great uncle power ben. comes great responsibility. Yeah, Uncle Ben. Yeah, I, I think that sort of underscores the need for that initial vetting process. And, and again, I think that's just such a nice analogy for like life. Like we don't trust those particular things, the most sensitive parts of who we are with people that we haven't gotten a sense of like it's necessary to take some time and not go all out with full vulnerability. These are all of my weaknesses and traumas right from the get go. Sometimes that trust 
really needs to be vetted and earned. Yeah, and it's a constant thing. You know, I think a lot of people have trouble where they can't open up at all. And then some people are just way too open. It comes down to boundaries, you know? And I, I think if we were, if each one of us were to assume that we're fucking terrible at this and really need to work at it, that would be a really good thing. Like that, that would be almost the best thing um, because the, the danger happens when people think they know what they're doing and then they don't. And I'm not even talking about just BDSM, just in regular relationships where you like, you meet someone Think about the first kiss people have on a first date. Like there's so many ways that can go down. You know, like we, we didn't get healthy human relating models growing up. We just didn't. We either didn't talk about it at all. We're told it was bad, watched it on, on, you know, uh, the internet, you know, in secret, like there's just basic human relating skills. I believe, all, most almost all individuals unless they had like a really beautiful caring happy healthy family and then upbringing right like some people are just like maybe 10 percent of people are just like oh you're good like they're comfortable with giving space it's secure attachment style comfortable with giving space comfortable with giving reassurance but i think for most people it's something we need to learn and like keep being in the practice of because the more we the more we go into our light, the more we are a force of empowerment in the world, the greater our shadow becomes. And that's why the, the people who um, are, are sort of most prominent oftentimes have such a spectacular fall. Uh, because if those unacceptable parts don't have, like the soul demands to be seen and heard, you know? Like if, if those parts aren't being consciously expressed, you can be sure they're going to come out in weird, dysfunctional ways. I want to root this in a concrete example, because um, I, I agree with most of what's being said here, and I want to make sure that it's clear. Um, Thank you for ensuring clarity. Yeah, of course. Thanks for the space. Um, so what, what I can relate this to is anger. Um, I, I grew up, I got into like a fight with someone when I was a kid. And from that instance, I learned like, day, like this is a dangerous emotion. You can't be messing with this. People get hurt. And over time, that's become like a repressed thing. And ironically, when I get angry, I then get angry at myself for being angry. And it sticks around for a really long time because it's that's that repression effect. And we see this with a lot of different emotions. Whatever we've been shamed for tends to be the emotion that we have the hardest time getting out of. Like I dated a woman who was ashamed for being like the type of person who cried a lot. So her sadness would last for like, like four or five hour block. She'd cry until she couldn't cry anymore. And then it would carry over into the next day. So within that, I think what you're saying with like the political leader situation, they're expected to be paragons of good behavior. Priests. Yeah. Need I say more? Yeah. And because they can't address the basic human need part of like maybe sexuality, maybe it's maybe it's just that they need to like break the rules every once in a while. It comes out in bigger and bigger ways, more and more dramatic ways, the more it's pushed down. I don't mean to imply that pedophilia is a natural human thing. I mean, I guess it's naturally occurring because otherwise it wouldn't normally happen. But 
And I don't also think that that's the natural end result of pushing down certain emotions, but it does kind of point at like crazy shit happens when we repress stuff. And that's not an excuse yep. for that behavior either, but it is a really good reason to begin looking at where am I holding back? Like, what is the one thing that I'm not allowed to do? And don't go murder someone from this, but like, look, like where am I, am I holding back from like, God, I, I, that person deserves to die and just saying it. And then letting that emotion pass. Yeah, I mean, that, this is the thing. When you're sort of like, like the ideal would be just like you're saying, something happens, you have a, an appropriate reaction, and then you move on. And so, yeah, you already said it, right? When we suppress the reaction, it extends. And it's, um, I think we're all just kind of growing up together. We didn't have a lot of good um, role models and teachers on what it means to be a mature adult. And we still don't. I mean, arguably, we have less and less as time goes on, you know, or, or perhaps they're just, there's less attention to them because it's less sexy and will sell less advertising space. Yeah. Um, but that's really what we're talking about here. And the, this idea of the, the curtain and keeping things hidden away, it's like, it's so fundamental to humanity and so part of our own individuation and growth process that, um, yeah. So anyways, everybody does it. It's cool to take a look at your unacceptable parts and um, it can lead to a lot more peace, a lot more integration, a lot more wholeness and less um, Jekyll and Hyde sort of phenomenon. Yeah. We got that, like six more things, do you want me to? Yeah, let, let's, yeah, let's knock out that list and see where that takes us. All right, cool. So next one is impact play. This is number F. Number F, impact play, <laughs> sponsored by the letter Q. Uh, that includes things like spanking, paddling, flogging, caning. Impact play is basically being hit with things. And there's a variety of sensations. There's things that are more thuddy. There's things that are more stingy. Lots to explore there. Number G. Uh, you know, some people call this primal play or like wrestling, um, but it, it's it, it's basically you, you kind of wrestle someone, ideally safely. Um, you know, it's likely unclear uh, who's the top, who's the bottom, and, and maybe you have this sort of like battle of wills and someone comes out on top and maybe that can be really sexy. I don't know. <laughs> I feel I feel like that has potential to be really awesome, and wrestling is, in my experience, is really really enjoyable. Yeah, definitely can be. Um, these next ones are really edgy, so I just want to again, not a lawyer, not a doctor, not a therapist. Please don't do this. Like, please research things on the internet. Be very very well informed. This is for entertainment purposes only. Um, and if you really want to do it, just make sure you know you educate yourself uh but but rough body play um this is literally like just hitting someone uh usually very hard um with different parts of your body uh so it include things like punching kicking kneeing elbows trampling slapping right this is very intense physical sensation um you can really injure someone they the parts of the body that are big and fleshy tend to do better than the ones that are bony 
that can lead to severe injury or even death. And I advise you to not do that <laughs> without being extremely safe, just like the wrestling and everything else. But yeah, so that's rough body play. Um, next one is electricity, electric play. Um, and so often these kits are called violet wands and they use static electricity. And um, it's important when you're doing it to always keep the wand moving because if you leave it in one place, it will actually burn through the glass bulb and burn the person. Um, it's, mm. it's basically the same precautions and risks as if you were playing with fire. Um, there's also what's called a, a TENS unit. Uh, and it's really important with these to not run current through the heart. Uh, again, very edgy stuff would actually actively recommend that you don't do this um especially before you get really like professional training on it um and it can be really fun like there's this thing that you can do where you kind of reverse it where the person becomes electric and like if i'm sort of electrified with the static electricity i can touch you and you'll get shocked and i'll get shocked too but that that can be really really fun it can be a fun friend activity um, <laughs> All of these can. Like, that's a lot of these don't happen in romantic relationships. Like, it's almost easier to do something this intense with someone that we're not as romantically or, or like, intimately, emotionally linked with. So, next one up is, oh, you got a question? Yeah, actually, why, why would you think that is? Why, why is it easier to do it with someone that you're not romantically linked with? Um, it's like telling your secrets to someone on the internet that you'll never see again. You know, there's less, there's mm. less at stake. If, if you have someone who's in your life and they're close to you, they can really hurt you. Revealing unacceptable parts of ourselves to someone that's very, very close, if received well, can be very powerful. Like, the, here's what I put it. The closer someone is to us, the more good or bad they can do. And so, yeah, you get it. Mm. I got you. So it's it's like in the same world as like how much leverage are you giving to this particular person? And what's the risk of the fallout if they don't accept it? Exactly. Like, hey, if if we meet each other at a party and and, you know, you decide to spank me and I don't really like it, we just never talk again. If I do that in an intimate relationship and like, you know, the impact could be like we break up and I spend six months recovering from the, you know, Maybe spanking isn't the best, but it, it, it could be, right? Like that, that's the thing. It's not about the thing you do. It's about the physical, emotional, energetic, psychological safety that we create or don't create. And if you're not yeah. consciously creating it, it's probably not there. Um, next one up, fire play, number J, fire play. What could go wrong, right? Well, severe burns. Your house could be on fire. Uh, it's very important to have extreme precautions, have a, a spotter with you ready to go. Um, you know, there's, there's precautions like having a soaking wet towel, a fire extinguisher. Never use a fire extinguisher on a human. Fire extinguishers are not for human. They are for physical objects. Um, yeah, I'm not really going to go too far into fire play, but get professional training if you're interested. Uh, and then, yep question how how does that look is it is it that i'm 
you'd be setting something on fire and then bringing it close to another person to create the intensity of temperature? Yeah, so there's a couple ways you could do it. Um, you could, like, let's say I have some drumsticks with some little flammable th things, right? So I could light them on fire and I could kind of drum on someone's back and that could be warm and intense sensation for them. I hmm. could uh, soak. Uh, so, so the way to get them lit would probably be with rubbing alcohol. I'm not giving advice. Don't do this. This is not, right? Okay. All of the disclaimers. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's rubbing alcohol, uh, flammable yet safe, right? It evaporates and then it's just water. Um, and uh, you could also basically, let's say you have like a wand and maybe one end of the wand is lit, but the other end isn't lit. It's just soaked in rubbing alcohol. So, and this will burn through your hair, but if you just put a line on your arm of the rubbing alcohol and then touch the flame to it, it'll shoot fire up the line. And, and then you, you, you know, you want to make sure you pat it down afterwards to make sure it doesn't stay lit. Um, but the alcohol tends to burn really fast. Um, so yeah. a lot of, if you look at like uh, performers uh, who, who do that kind of stuff, um, you know, you can, kind of see that there. I appreciate you fielding that question, even though you wanted to move on. And I, I get why that would be like a particularly risky thing, because it is live fire and you're working with death, yeah. death, massive yeah. property damage, right? This is this is like really like potentially dangerous adult content. Yeah, got it. So it's almost like as we progress deeper and deeper into this list, like the, the, the more people will want to be paying attention to like, what is the proper protocol here? Like, cause this I would really say don't do anything like maybe you can do primal play wrestling, like just be really safe, not rough body play, electricity, fire play sharps. Don't even fucking think about it without getting professionally trained. That is what I would advise someone. Yeah. But I'm not any sort of advisor, so I wouldn't be advising. I'm just entertaining. Anyways. I got um, that. Thanks man. Yeah. 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 The last one here is number K is sharps. So these can range from things that are, you know, relatively safe, right? Like let's say you have a knife and there's a dull edge and you, you run it along, you run the dull edge along someone's skin for sensation, right? Fairly safe. You know, maybe they, you could even use a credit card. You can use a credit card and ice cube and make someone think you just cut their back open. Like it's, it's all about the psychological impact. Um, it can also go more into things like piercing with needles. Um, things like you mentioned blood play, cutting, scarification. You know, these are things that, that bring extreme risk, infection, death, right? Edge play. This is something where extensive train, not just training, but extensive supervision. And that's what's fucking cool about this community is that it's actually a community. Like the people who are doing BDSM and are not in the community, very, very high risk. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do with their lives. Not everybody has communities around them. There are communities online. There are resources. There's lots of education available. But people, that's, I think that's where this stuff happens. Like the larynx, for example. I think it's two or three pounds of pressure to crack someone's larynx. That's less than cracking an egg. And do you know how many people, like like bros, who are just like, oh, I'm going to choke you. It's going to be great. 
and like grab someone on the front of their throat, it's like the most dangerous thing in the world. And the people who are doing it are typically the people who are not into BDSM. They're the people who are, oh, that's for other people. I'm not a bad person like that. I'm just, I just like to get a little rough sometimes. And um, I think that's, that's kind of, I would say that a theme that keeps coming up is let us make our, it's a Jung quote. If we don't make our unconscious conscious, it will continue to run our lives and we will call it fate. This is an opportunity to bring the light into the dark basement of our unacceptable parts to reclaim who we are from the experiences we've had as children or, or as young adults. And in, in order to move forward as a whole integrated person, integrity. So as you bring that up, I'm remembering something that you'd said earlier about wishing that people were like, if we, if we were all on the page of like, I'm not very good at this, it might actually be a better situation. And that's, that seems especially relevant. And the thought that came up for me when that was brought up was also like, if I look at basic human psychology, there's like the better than average effect, right? We all think that we're better than average. Right. Effect. Everyone's an above average driver, right? Especially in Massachusetts. <laughs> I think the same thing also applies to sex. We all think we're phenomenal at it. And maybe this is, this is an opportunity to set that aside and see what's actually so like, and to, and setting aside that better than average effect to see like, not whether I'm good, whether or not I'm good or bad, but to see what my partner authentically enjoys, what I authentically enjoy and yes. have the entire palette of experiences to play with. And the people who actually are good are always asking those questions. And that's why we're good. See what I did there? The yeah, yes, that's good. That's very inclusive. <laughs> I like it. A little humble um, brag. A little humble brag. Um, cool. We got two more steps. That was that was number three. Three was very long. I went. I deep dived. Um, you you want to do number four and five and kind of close it out? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, cool. Number four, very important. What are your boundaries? Right. If someone says they have no boundaries, they are either lying or very unaware, and you should run the other way. Um, that said. Most people have no freaking clue what their boundaries are. So it's, I've, I've always, I always try to like err on the side of safety. Like I would rather have someone be slightly or even moderately disappointed that we didn't do more rather than going too far and have a bad experience because you can always go farther. You can always meet up again and do the thing again. You can't unfuck someone, right? You, you can't like undo a bad, like, if there is psychological damage, it's going to be very, very hard to repair. So I think it's better to give a, a very heavily bounded area to play in. And then you know it's safe and you can play freely. And then over time, you can expand based on what works for you. But I would say if I would give advice to, to newbies, and there's videos on YouTube about this, just, you know, there's checklists, right? How do you find your boundaries? Here, I'll say this. If you want any resources on this, I have a little guide. If you message Rob, he can ask me and I can, I can maybe share some stuff. Um, I don't want to make it public. I don't want my identity out there, but there's some good stuff here. There's some good intro. Um, but I would say if, if you're just starting out, move slowly, seek trusted people to experiment with, 
so you have safe and positive experiences. There's so many classes. There's conferences. You go and there's classes. There's conferences and classes online now. You don't even need to leave your bedroom. You can sign up. It's probably not very expensive. And, and get like very cutting edge, safe and fun. And that kind of leads into number five. What level of intensity and risk are you comfortable with? There's a lot of crazy people out there, right? Like, like this thing we're talking about, not only is it extremely risky, it is most of the time highly illegal. It is literally in many states illegal. Like you can't consent to having someone hit you. Um, and so it, it's really important to like have people who know where you are, what you're doing with who, you know, don't ever meet someone in private you've never met before, meet in public for coffee or tea, uh, meet in a public space. You know, that there are situations where you can have experts there. You could go, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to live in an area where they have uh, dungeons or play parties or swingers clubs or whatever it is, oftentimes there are certified dungeon monitors who have gone through training on safety and they're literally there to help everyone have a safe and fun experience. So take your time, go slow. There's a variety of philosophies around consent and risk awareness. And it goes from sort of SSC is safe, sane, and consensual. That kind of started out and it was like pretty um, boundaried, right? That's like pretty safe. And then you go into a little more edgy, right? Rack, risk, aware, consensual, kink, right? A lot of people play in that space. And then you have prick, personal responsibility, uh, <laughs> informed, consensual, kink. And uh, honestly, I don't want to talk shit. Everybody should do what they play at the level they feel comfortable with, with the partners that they feel comfortable with. But in my experience, I have noticed that people who follow the last of those are, are sometimes um, dangerous. So I'll just put it out there. Like, like in the first two, it's kind of like, it's my job to look out for me and you and vice versa. In the last one, they're basically saying, you're on your own, son, have a good time. If you have a bad experience, it's not on me. It's your responsibility, which like, I'll just say for myself, I would be like, fuck that. No way. And yeah, I think people can do that sort of dynamic with someone that they've maybe known for years and been playing with for years. And right. Like, I'm not saying don't have that level yeah. of intensity. I'm just saying that like, if you meet someone and they want to play and that's what they want to do, fucking run. Cause they're probably a psychopath. Yeah, that seems ill-advised to provide total trust to someone just that that I just met in a context where it, especially if I'm doing it like privately, like that's that's dangerous. Like I don't know where that's going and, to go. And the context, right? Like what is really fun for someone could be your worst fucking nightmare, and it could be really fun for you a year down the line. Yeah, I, I like that we've covered the gamut here because it's not all sunshine, rainbows, and personal growth. Like there, there's obviously an edge and a risk to taking on any of this kind of like lifestyle or behavior, and I'm glad that it's being highlighted. Yeah, I mean, if you never do any of these activities, you can still learn so much from the principles of. We didn't even talk about negotiation. Like, if you're at all interested in this, type in like how to have a really good BDSM negotiation 
and like there's like really good videos on it there's you know checklists there's articles very very important and also consent you know I, I have a quote here from a friend of mine recently back in the day when I wrote this it was recently um, they said something like consent is the new discrimination like back in the day maybe today too I don't know if you didn't know what discrimination was like you were likely doing it and now it's the same with consent now like if we're not actively educating ourselves and practicing it we're probably not doing it very well and and the reality is that consent violations happen all of the time even in a post me too era um we still live in a very sex negative culture um but there are lots of classes popping up in person and now very much virtually on consent negotiation educate yourself be patient if you go into a community you want to cultivate a reputation as a safe and fun player you don't want to push past someone's boundaries have them have a good experience because everybody talks and reputation is everything so we could go on and on man i mean i i was i was thinking about writing a book about this and i i have like the um the the like the chapter titles uh i could just briefly read them chapter one would have been understanding yourself chapter two would be connecting to community chapter three would be educating yourself so none of these are playing with others yet like playing with others doesn't come till chapter four playing with others right <laughs> chapter five developing your erotic identity chapter six creating your ideal lifestyle and then chapter seven giving back by helping others so the actual play doesn't again come until more than 50% through the journey. So definitely saw, this is like a, this is like a master's degree or a PhD. Like if you want to do this shit, you really want to, you want to make sure like your fundamentals are really good. Like if you're not having a good experience, having normal sex, I'm not sure if adding super kinky shit would necessarily help. It might, I don't know, start slowly, try a couple things, but this is definitely an advanced area. Um, and then I'll just sprinkle also, there's other areas, right? There's Tantra, right? Sacred sexuality. Um, this is a great resource. Jaya's core erotic blueprint. There's five main types, energetic, sensual, uh, kinky, like physical or sexual, and then shapeshifter, which is a combination of some of the other ones. And I cannot tell you how fucking different people are when it comes to this shit, like what kind of touch do you like? Do you like soft touch? Do you like medium touch? Do you like really hard grabby touch? Do you like scratching? Do you hate scratching? Do you hate soft touch? Cause it reminds you of X, Y, Z. Like people are so multifaceted, um, but we're blessed to be a, a galaxy in a skin suit, right? And so we have not only all of these nerve endings and, and beautiful sensations to explore, but also all of these contexts and psychological realities to be in. And we can do that in relationship. So fucking cool. So I, I appreciate the time today. And um, yeah, I'll just say happy sex explorations. Happy sex explorations. Good having you on, man. And uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think that we covered a lot of really amazing ground here. And my own takeaway here is that like to be really amazing at sex or to be really amazing with people, it, it isn't a very complicated skill set, but it, it, it does take that sense of curiosity and exploration, like being willing to examine what different 
stimuli do for different people and also being willing to create more of those experiences for those people. That's what makes someone be phenomenal to be around. The, I mean, like the, it's, it's not that they do that all the time. I think there's a level of also like honoring yourself, but like if you want to make someone really, really fucking love you, taking like an hour or something and just spending time understanding how they want to be touched, how they want to be communicated to, what they enjoy, that's going to go a really, really long way. I, I don't know if there's a more bonding, a, a bond, a more bonding experience that you could create for someone. But yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's going to cut it, man. So thank you. So again on that, on. on that note, I just want to, you know, you knew I'm going to do this, right? So I agree with 99.7% of that. <laughs> and, uh, and there's this little nuance of, um, All right, let's hear it. I actually feel like that shit is just table stakes. Like, Everyone should fucking be able to do that shit, to know who they are, what they want, what they like, and ask the other people the same thing, and then co-create mutual hell yes experiences. To me, if we're not doing that, what the fuck are we doing? And that, that's the thing, though. Like, so this is this is actually really rare. I think I've, as I've navigated the world, because in our my society is fucked up. Uh, but 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 I. So here's the big thing, though, like, right, this is the opportunity. If you're listening yeah. to this, this is the opportunity oh, God, because yes. other people aren't doing this. And the minute that you even begin to adopt this, you become the best lover they've ever had, the best sex they've ever had, the best date they've ever had. This is categorically different from the way most people explore the world. So, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Have fun. Stay safe. I got, I got a little more. Yeah? Okay. To add, to okay. add to that, so... So that's like, to me, that's like kind of step one. And when you get to that, I would just call that like passable, right? Like, <laughs> like moderately, like, like, you know, intermediate, right? Like, wait, 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 what happened to non-hierarchical? Where did that go? <laughs> no, that's, that's other stuff. This is like, I like, 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 oh my God, like you, you've heard stories of like the dating world these days. And it's just, yeah. we don't have the tools. No one has taught us the tools but we are privileged to live in a world where the tools are just a Google search away. Um, and so, yeah, I guess what I was just going to say is if, if that's so rare and so amazing, and, and I think it's just what everyone should be doing, it should just be the default. Can you imagine how much more we have? Like if that's a five out of 10 or six or seven out of 10, call it a seven out of 10, like eight, nine, 10, like there's so much more depth that you can go into with the right people. So I'll just, I'll leave that of like, this is just the beginning, being someone that's so rare, that's like the, the best lover, the best partner, whatever that the other person's ever met, is really just the beginning of your own personal growth and, and sexual self-exploration and expression. I wanna say namaste. So I'm going to say na namaste. Naughty. Namaste. Naughty namaste. <laughs> it's all about that naughty namaste. Rob, yeah. this was awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for being on. And if you're listening right now, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this was a great... I loved having you on the show. And I think we, we covered a lot of really valuable ground here. Um, this alone was like a masterclass. And there's, there's a lot that someone can take away from this to become amazing with other people and for themselves. Any questions, send them to Rob. He'll send them to me. Thank you for protecting my identity, Rob. I appreciate you. 
<laughs> yeah, you got it, man. And I'll catch you around. See ya.